Welcome to the Pierce Point Podcast. We are going to talk about Luke chapter 6 today, and I can tell you with the amount of material here, we may get through all of Luke 6 and we may not, but whatever we hit, we'll uh, hope and pray that it is encouraging to you or at least thought-provoking. Um, as we do each time, we're going to start with some comments from the Talk It Over section. The first one is from Lauren, Lauren Peace, who says, Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. She just kind of highlights this idea, and it is um, an intense and humbling statement. And we will hopefully talk a bit further Mm -hmm. about why that would be the case to be blessed in that. Emily Burcham chimes in and with two comments. That's awesome. Sometimes it appears to be the same comment repeated, but these are two separate ones. The first one is this, such an encouraging perspective Jesus puts forth here. Being blessed doesn't have to mean being prosperous, healthy, and happy. Instead, the trials that cause us to turn to him, rely on him, draw near to him, those things are blessings for those of us who believe in him. Very great point. Very great point. And then her second point says, seeing Jesus gives so much correction throughout this chapter because man's traditions had twisted and trampled the heart of God's word. God had not changed his thinking from the old covenant to the new. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I don't have much to add to that. I just would say amen, because um, it is really important for us to recognize God is not the one who changes. We're the ones who change. And we've got um, we've got to change to be in line with him, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So Luke chapter one, and we are going to jump right in to um, to some Sabbath laws. So what stands out to you? Well, it, this is an interesting story, not one that that is common to our culture. Uh, we don't go through grain fields and uh, on uh, Sabbath and. And eat uh, nope. from the from the. Grain. I'm wondering <laughs> before you continue. I'm wondering if we would get in trouble if we walked through the grocery store and kind of took out the the <laughs> the peanuts, maybe the you know the snack cakes or something. We should I, give anyway. that a try. Okay, let's give it a try. <laughs> Back to you. But this is a this is an interesting story because this was this was not an unusual situation in that day and that time. Uh, uh, they were, first of all, they were simply hungry. And it was not against the law, the law of God, or uh, uh, at that point, uh, as a matter of fact, in uh, Deuteron- Deuteronomy, I don't remember the chapter that was 23, in. 24, and 20, 25. Yes, it talks about the fact that, that a person could walk through his neighbor's grain field or, or vineyard, and he could eat from what he could pluck with his hands, and he could not, in the in the uh, uh, situation of it being a grain field, he couldn't use a uh, sickle, so he couldn't harvest the guy's grain and take it. But if he wanted to get something to eat, so there was nothing wrong when these guys said, uh, the Pharisees had said, "Why do you do what is not lawful on the on the Sabbath?" They didn't seem to have an they didn't seem to have an issue with what they were doing. It was the day that they were doing it on. Yeah. So actually, according to the law, they had done nothing wrong. 
they had broken the, some of the rules that the Pharisees had put on the Sabbath day at that time. Yes. So uh, very, very fun situation here. And, and we're going to, we, we see a lot of Jesus picking fights and he does so in <laughs> yes. really obscure ways. But we also see something very important about Jesus's strategy. And that is he never leaves a moment of opportunity uh, to to go, he he doesn't leave it, uh, you know, in the dust. He he doesn't squander it. Is probably the best way to put it. So, like you said, we have to realize right off the bat there is a Levitical precedent for loving your neighbor and for loving the poor. This is a really important concept that is that is understood in uh, Deuteronomy twenty three verses twenty four and twenty five. If you wonder why that was so easy to remember, it's because it's twenty three twenty four twenty five, not because I'm too smart. But anyway, <laughs> um, but so Deuteronomy twenty three verses twenty four and twenty five. Uh, teach us that that they were to allow these people who are walking by the neighbors or those who who were in need mm-hmm. to be able to pick that grain. They simply couldn't, as you rightly pointed out, they couldn't they couldn't wield the sickle. Mm-hmm. They couldn't go harvesting the grain and say, "Hey, thanks for all the work you did. Yeah. I'm going to take all of <laughs> the benefits of it." So they couldn't do that. They but they were allowed to do this sort of thing. So the Pharisees jump in and they're 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 looking for a reason to point their finger. They just want to point their finger. So they say, "Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath?" Now Jesus here could just simply say, it is lawful. Be quiet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? You could imagine that. Or he could do what we do in our in our uh, religious arguments today. Show me the chapter and verse where it's where it's unlawful. That's right? Exactly and just right. try to lob it over and yeah. pick up pick the fight. But instead, he seizes an amazing opportunity. Jesus answered them and said, verse 3, have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companion. So Jesus just did something to these Pharisees that you have to imagine infuriated them. First of all, he's comparing him and his disciples with David and his colleagues. Okay, whoa. David's mm-hmm. David is untouchable. David is not the guy you want to compare yourself with, at least in their presence, because they think you're you're arguing with them. He was, but uh, mm-hmm. so Jesus is comparing this. Number two, he's saying it was the Sabbath, and when they're hungry, God wants them to be satisfied. He wants his people to be cared for. And then we go on to his next statement, which is uh, that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then elsewhere, um, we we remember that the Sabbath was not made, uh, the Sab- man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath mm-hmm. was made for man. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is picking a whole lot of fights on a whole lot of fronts right here. And it's actually uh, making me squirm while I'm it's, reading it. <laughs> it's, it's he has he has targeted them. He could have said, first of all, guys, your man-made l- rules that you've written down about something that I created. He doesn't even address that. Yeah. He doesn't even address the fact that they there were four things that they were saying these guys had done wrong. They were threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. He doesn't even address the fact that those weren't part of the law that they were supposed to be following anyway. But he 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 points out to them, it's, it's an open rebuke, first of all, to say, have you not even read what they said? <laughs> That's an open rebuke. And, and the point that, that Jesus 
seems to be making is it, and it is that Jesus, who instituted the Sabbath, who 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 came up with all of the law that they they claim to know very well, he was the one. He he made this anyway. He in, in his uh, uh, in his rebuke of them, this was a direct claim to his deity that he was God, and he was he was the one that created the whole thing. That he is the Lord of Lord of the Sabbath. This had to be. It, it isn't any wonder that they said some of the things that they yes. said later on. Uh, but it's it's amazing to me that he didn't even address their wrong uh, view of the law at that point. He said, I'm just going to address the things that I know are correct about it. And they did not do anything yes. wrong. You and I might have answered this uh, in, in our wisdom. We would have answered this and said, number one, the law doesn't say that. Um, yep. uh, number two, I mean, we, we would have just we would have blown these people off instead of saying, have you not ever read in our own vernacular? We would have been, are you so stupid? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. we would have hit them yeah. hard. Jesus is, is definitely winsome in his rebukes. He, he's, he's good at what he's doing. He's strategic in it. But instead of that, Jesus never, like you said, he never addresses that they're believing their man-made traditions and not what the law actually says. And on top of that, he says, um, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus' response to them is, well, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'll do as I please. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, he doesn't change his own rules. He doesn't, you know, he's not playing games with this. But he looks at it and says, well, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So um, what were you saying? (laughs) (laughs) And that is staggering. So keeping with the Sabbath theory, the Sabbath ideas here, um, verse 6, he goes on, he says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. Oh, heaven forbid, right? (laughs) So that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. We see this phrase over and over, Luke especially. Uh, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. Again, Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he goes on with his plan. Mm-hmm. He's not even going to address the trolls in the audience. He's not going to address the naysayers. I mean, he will, but he goes on about mm-hmm. his business. So it's fascinating. Can, can you imagine being in the room where Christ is sitting there teaching, and they knew he could heal? That's what they were waiting on him to do. So and they could they're catch, setting a trap. So they they knew he could heal. And they're saying, and they see Jesus heal this man, and they're like, oh, "We got him now. We got him." I I cannot. Uh, they watched God heal a man right in front of their very eyes, and 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 I I think how how do you get so blind in this? They were blinded by hate for him first of all, but they they were looking for anything that they could. No, can you imagine that though? I mean, think about this thought they knew he had the power to heal and were waiting to see if he did it. Wow. So it's back to a question that we got in our previous podcast, which is, would it be easier to follow Jesus had you been in Jesus's day? And the Pharisees would make 
an overwhelming case for no. It's not easy. He's healing in their presence and they're pushing him off. They're, they're, tr- they're looking for a way mm-hmm. to accuse him. And I, and I love your perspective. I love the fact that they, they're aware of what he's able to do, and they're watching him closely to see if he'll heal on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse mm-hmm. him. They, they know what's happening. They're waiting for him to pull the trigger on his superpowers, and then they want mm-hmm. to uh, trump up some charges here. So Here's where it gets really, really curious. So Jesus doesn't direct his attention to them, but instead the man with the withered hand, and he says, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. So there's this there's this call and this response, beautiful, right? Come, come forward. So he does. And Jesus said to them, yeah. love it. So this guy comes forward and you're picturing this whole situation. Now this guy is the example in front. So you, you, I imagine this guy going, hold on, how did I get roped into this whole dispute yeah. here? But so he's standing there and he says, I ask you, he's talking to the Pharisees now. I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath to save a life or to destroy it? You are getting at the heart of the people mm-hmm. you're dealing with, with whatever their response is. Mm-hmm. If they say, no, it's not lawful to do good or to do, you do nothing. Mm-hmm. Or it would be better for you, you know, nobody's going to say, yeah, it's lawful to do harm on the Sabbath. So they have to say, it's not lawful to do good. And that is an indictment mm-hmm. on their mm-hmm. hearts. These people are really really wicked. It, it, it is interesting, the fact that they, in, in verse 8, he knew what they were thinking. This, 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 was, this was the uh, thrust behind the whole, whole thing, is that instead of being about someone, a man who's, who's, who needed to be healed, and, uh, and I, don't know what, I don't know what the issue was with his withered hand, we don't, we all, that, that's all that we know about it. But this man was a man that was there and needed to be healed, and all they were concerned about was them breaking a rule that they had added to yes. the law of God, and, and and that was all that they cared about. So it's a good it's a good question. They couldn't answer it rightly and and without making themselves look look really bad. Absolutely. And in and if they had answered it rightly, they would have. Uh, I I think at that point, uh, what could they say? And I I can imagine when Jesus is looking around and he. He and 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 he says after he says is it I ask you is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath? After looking around at them all, I mean, and is I'm I'm thinking anybody anybody got anything on that question? Yeah, anybody. And there's nothing. And I'm he picturing just heals the man. I'm picturing the same look, and of course not in the same heart or attitude. So hear me clearly, but <laughs> I'm picturing the same look that I get sometimes from my daughters when I say, "Don't touch that," and they look at me straight in the eye and slowly touch the thing. Right? Yes. And Jesus looks at them and says. So is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or destroy it? Notice they can't respond. I want to, I want to comment on that here in a second. They can't respond. So he looks around at all of them after this question, and he goes, stretch out your hand. He's going to do it anyway. Yeah. It's this, there's a defiance there. Yeah. And, and in this, the truth is that there's a holiness in God and a defiance in men. Yeah. 
That's what we don't see. We look at it as though Jesus is just trying to stick one at him. But Jesus is being God. Mm -hmm. He is being love. He is being the one he needs to be. And they're the ones who just don't like what he has to say. So uh, this idea of their response this happens over and over mm-hmm. throughout Luke's gospel and throughout some different different takes in the gospel that the disciple or that the Pharisees can't answer Jesus. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful. Number one, we don't see an answer from them. We see them uh, you know uh, crying in their beer here in the next verse in verse 11, but we don't see an answer from them. In Luke 13:17, It says this, it says, and he said this, Jesus is saying uh, these words, he said this, and all his opponents were being humiliated, right? And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things that uh, were done by him. In Luke 14, verse 6, it says, and they could make no reply to what Mm -hmm, Jesus was doing, mm -hmm. what Jesus was saying. So the point in all of this is that it's common for these Pharisees to be encountering Jesus and then not be able to respond. They don't know what to do with this man. But we can't miss this idea that he looks around at them all and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was restored. A piece of, um, a piece of worthwhile uh, conjecture here that, that will cause a lot of conversation if you'll give it time is that there's no mention in here of anybody's faith. It's nothing. It doesn't say the man had faith. It doesn't yeah, say anything like this. All that happens is he is that Jesus looks at the man and says uh, to the man with the withered arm, get up and come forward. The man gets up and comes forward. He didn't say, get up and come forward. I'm going to do this healing now. Maybe the man knew he would. Mm. I don't know. But what we do not see here recorded is any uh, any representation of anyone's faith here and yet God heals sovereignly. I, I think there's something to be said about that. I think there are enough verses that communicate that there is a faith component at times, but there are also many times in which Jesus just mm-hmm. wants to do what Jesus wants to do, mm-hmm. and I think that that's beautiful. So. And when they talk about, in verse 11, they, they themselves, the Pharisees, were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. At that, you know, they were plotting his death. And... And I, I, I still, it, it just amazes me to, to get this uh, picture in my mind of these guys sitting around seeing this man healed and all they could think about, their heart was, it was dark. They, they, were, they, they wanted him dead. And uh, they're, they're plotting a murder of Jesus. And, and I, 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 I just, I'm just amazed. You know, in, it talks about in uh, uh, Jesus recognized their heart so many times. Of course, he knew what they were thinking, so he knew what the, what the heart of it was. But he, in, in, in Mark uh, chapter 7, when he, when he rebuked them again over the same kind of heart issue, he, he said, you laying aside the commandment of God, so they had taken what God had actually said and added their own rules. They, they laid aside what God had said, added their own rules. He said, laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradi- tradition of men all too well. You reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradi- tradition, making the word of God no effect through your tradition. 
that, that's this is exactly what they were doing right yes. here. Again, these were rules that they had written down. They went beyond what the law said to add to everything, all of the laws that they had written down. So there were many, many, many other lists of things that you could or could not do. But their heart, their heart was wrong. It was completely Absolutely. wrong. It's it's a fascinating quote. You know, the idea of making the word of God, the very word of God that Scripture tells us will not return void making the Word of God of no effect because mm-hmm. of our traditions. Now, if that doesn't make you stop and think for a while, um, then quite honestly, you're not hearing what's being said there. But there is a way in which our traditions have the ability to not allow the good things that God intends and wants for us to be a part of, the helping of people mm-hmm. on the Sabbath who are who are in disrepair or, or the, you know, it's the, it's the man sick on the side of the road that the good Samaritan uh, loves enough to stop and to care for, right? We make the word of God null and void in this respect, that we're not walking in the beauty of what he's called us to do. Mm-hmm. And these, these people had done it, these Pharisees had done it so often that the word of God became null and void because they, they insulated it so far uh, to the side that that, that they wouldn't e- they they weren't even a part of the word of God anymore. They were a part of their traditions. They were a part of their systems. They were a part of their rules. And they thought in doing that we're being pleasing to God. When God's heart was, will you pick that guy up? Will you help that yeah. guy out? Will you? Who cares about a little bit of your grain? Yeah. Let your poor neighbor take care, you know take this. Share with them because I am the master. I am the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hill. I will. I'll take care of you. You know. But they had made the effect of the word of God, the the outplay in their lives of no effect because they had insulated it with all of these rules and traditions. There is there's hours worth of material just on that idea yeah. if we would give our minds to it. I think if we're not careful we can we can get into the same mindset and Brilliant. and not see what God is doing or wanting to do through us if we don't follow him if we don't follow his guidelines as he has set them down not as we have set them down yes. but uh, I think if we we need to be so very careful to not fall into that same yeah. line of thinking. The traditions of the church can be that, yeah. where what we're concerned with is um, is service times mm-hmm. and not service to people. Yeah. When we're so concerned about um, the light show and the sound system and all of those things and not the person who's come in week after week after week that doesn't even have the money to make you know, make rent, whatever it might be. We're so consumed with all of these things that we miss the opportunities to love those right around us and care for them. And so, uh, I, I, I love your, I love your, uh, analysis of that. We have got to be careful. We can't, um, we can't always think it was those pitiful Pharisees from the past right. who had the problem. You know, the, the story in the New Testament where, where you have the, the sinner and you have the publican and, you, and you've, got this, you've got this guy who's beating his breast and he's looking, he won't look up to God and he says, you know, he's, he's calling out for, for salvation, you know, as a sinner, as a wretched sinner. And then you have this other one who says, thank God I'm not like mm-hmm. that guy. Well, if we're not careful, we, we fast forward into, the new, into our day and we look back 
back at the New Testament Pharisees and we say the same thing that that publican said. We say, God, thank you. I'm not like the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. You're, you're the same yeah, guy. Absolutely. You don't realize yes. it that when you're when you're pointing the finger at these people and saying, thank God I'm not like them, what you're asserting is some sort of self-righteousness right. that isn't right. there. Right. You are either righteous in God's eyes because of his grace and your and, and faith, right? And your faith, yes. or you've missed it too. Yeah, absolutely. What a dangerous precedent. So we roll into verses 12 through 19 and the calling of the apostles. And the only the only thought I have on this, really for me, I see a lot of detail, is in the first two verses, 12 yeah. and 13, yep. when he says, first of all, he goes up to the mountain to pray, off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. What leads Jesus into everything that he does? He's, he spends time with the Father. N.T. Wright once said that unless we can stand uh, humbly in the presence of God, we won't stand boldly in the presence of the world. And Jesus models this. He stands uh, humbly in the presence of his Father. He goes and he prays, and then he comes back, and it says, And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. What is that implying? There are many disciples, many disciples he's calling, and he is selecting yes. 12 from among them, and those were the apostles. And then we have Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, and, and all of that. That's my only observation yeah. from that. It is interesting that, I, and it, it doesn't say this in the text, but it is, it's, he, he went to pray. He prays all night, evidently, spent the whole night in prayer to God, and when day came, he called them and chose. Now, I, I can't. I can imagine, and one would think that that prayer, some of that prayer, at least maybe all of that prayer, I don't know, would have been in saying, you know, praying to God about those 12 men that he was going to choose. And I, I what a critical thing this was that Jesus would spend the entire night in, in prayer. He, he was, while he was God, he, he, he didn't use at this time and other times that we've talked about, even on this podcast, he did not use some of the attributes of God that he could have called into play to do something because he was, while he was God, he was man and he prayed and he needed guidance yes. from his father. And he's trusting this. his father he's in trusting everything father. he does. Powerful. So, so we go on and we, we've got these names and, and it's this is awesome, and we, we could spend some time, I suppose, on that. But let's skip down to verse uh, verse 16. I love this. And Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Thanks for throwing that one yeah. in there, Luke. <laughs> yeah. Right? Obviously, that shows us. It really is important. It shows us uh, at least somewhat of the timeline. Luke writes his gospel account well after this. all of these mm-hmm. stories occurred. So who became a traitor? He, he had still, you know, he, he became one. Verse 17. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples. So there we go, more with the disciples, the a disciples. large crowd of his disciples, and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. And that, that term throng is out of date, but we need to use it more often. Anyway, verse 18, <laughs> he um, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So let's look at the motives of these people, Mm -hmm. right? They had come to hear and to be healed. So just very clear on that. They didn't come just to be healed and not to hear both. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And so we're back to this unclean spirits or demon possession or, or more things. 
Verse 19, And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. Mm-hmm. Now that that just I don't even know what that image is supposed to look like, but it it feels like it could be in a in a Marvel movie, yes. right? This power is just emanating from Jesus, and so they're longing to touch him. Same way you see the woman who has the issue of blood, yes. she's wanting to touch, right? So then, verse twenty says, and turning his gaze towards his disciples, he began to say, "I don't I don't know how much time we spend." trying to think through the image of what's being played out here. But I do a lot. I think it's important. And that is, number one, he had disciples, a lot of them. According to this, he had Mm -hmm. many disciples, a crowd of disciples, a large crowd of disciples. Of that large crowd of disciples, he goes up and prays for who he's selecting of the 12, which become the apostles. Then in this scene, we have that large crowd of disciples We, somewhere in that is the 12 apostles, and we also have a great throng of people from all Judea. But when Jesus sits down, he turns his gaze towards his disciples Mm -hmm. and began Mm -hmm. to say. So there's a multitude he's talking to, but it would appear he's not talking to everybody here. He wants his followers to understand what comes next. Yeah, this this is a story that's also... Yeah, similar in Matthew and uh, uh, the uh, the account here in Luke is 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 quite a bit shorter than the one in Matthew, but uh, uh, Jesus was a teacher, uh, and and we 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 see him as God, but we forget that his uh, his the the he needed to teach these guys. They were getting ready to be able. To, he was getting them ready to be able to take on all of the things that he was doing to take them on themselves. And so some of the things that he teaches them are, uh, are, are just, they just blow my mind because they, they, uh, he's telling them things that he knows for sure that they're going to have to learn and they're not getting it all the time. They're not always getting it, but, uh, I, I am it it, it 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 it's not an accident I don't think that this that this teaching came after he had chosen the 12. I I think like you had said or, or had somewhat alluded to he turns to these guys I think and I it's it's not an accident that he turns and starts to teach them some of the concepts of the kingdom of God because it is so different yes. than what they than what they knew of to be yes. the kingdom of God in their day. Now one of the approaches that we could take in discussing this is we could walk through each beatitude and 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 we may do that. But the the other approach that we need to take that we should take, I think at least right off the bat, is to again set the stage. What we have on one side, let's just picture a, a man sitting on the top of a hill, he's sitting, well, he's actually sitting on a flat place. Isn't that what it says? It mm-hmm. says that, uh, yep. yeah, he was he was sitting on a flat place and he calls all these people. So just picture that he's sitting on this flat place and and you have immediately maybe in front of him that uh, I'm making this piece up. So just kind of just get this picture in your mind. He's got the 12 that he has just selected. Immediately behind them, you have the disciples. These are followers of Jesus. 
And then surrounding them, or maybe even interspersed in them, you have non-disciples. You simply have the throng of people. This is, these are these are people who are curious. They're, they need healing. They want to hear what Jesus has to say, but they're not his disciples. The image next that comes says he turned his gaze towards his disciples. So the crowd and the 12 are his focus, not the outsiders. Right. Not the outsiders. What he then begins to say are a series of identifiers more than they are a series of actions we are to take. So think about this. He says, blessed are you who are poor. He doesn't say blessed are you when you when you act poor when you when you get poor when you you know blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be satisfied he doesn't say blessed are you who will hunger now he says you who do hunger now yes. so he's looking at the followers and he's saying i want you to understand something you are the inheritors mm-hmm. of the kingdom of God yes in, in, in much of what we read in this account and in Matthew's account, we need to understand these more as markers for the people of God, less uh, behaviors that we need to get right as the people of God. Mm-hmm. I believe that these are the natural state, the, the natural state of the people of God. Mm-hmm. God welcomes the humble. He rejects the proud. There's no, there's no place or, or right for pride inside of the people mm-hmm. of God. Why? Because blessed are the poor. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the meek, we hear later. So I think we need to really wrap our minds around there's a reason why Jesus talks to the disciples. They were following him. They were committed in some level to him and not the rest of the world. What he then goes on and says is these are the markers of the kind of people yeah, you are. Yeah. Powerful. For, for him to say in verse, in verse 22, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven. I, I cannot imagine that they're thinking, my goodness, this, this is what we're, this is what we've signed up for here. Yes. Jesus is telling us things, as you've said, these are markers. These are identifiers. These are things that are going to happen. He, he didn't say, you know, blessed if this happens. He says when it happens, yes. and it's going to ha- happen. And, and they saw that. Yes. My goodness, they saw that many, many times over. They saw it in his own life. Absolutely. So you could see, you can see how, if we're reading these texts, we could say, blessed are you who are poor, and we could convert that into an action. Well, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and come follow him. Of course, what we're doing is we're, we're combining two scriptures that really, um, they're, they're just different accounts of things mm-hmm. that took place. But what we have, here is an identifier. Verse 21, we could see how we would turn this into an action. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. So what we tell each other is, if you want to be a good Christian, you need to hunger, 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 hunger. Instead, 
if you are a follower of Jesus, you're hungering. Yes. This is the natural flow of you. And here's how I can prove it. I mean, people struggle with this, and I and I understand why, and I'm open for lots of discussion about this. Trust me. Um, and I and I definitely wouldn't uh, impugn you for seeing it differently. But but look at this. Verse 22 says, "Blessed are you when men hate you." Where's the action step here? Did Jesus say, listen, if you're a real Christian, you should make men hate you? No. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Yeah. These are identifiers, not things he wants you to go out trying to do. You know what? I'm going to see how many people I can make mad today. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Instead, no. what he's saying is because of who you are, people aren't going to like you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and they're going to ostracize you, and they're going to insult you, and they're going to scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Because the name you're calling out, the, the thing that you're calling out is Jesus is Lord. And here's where contextually understanding the world of that day is important. To declare Jesus is Lord was to declare that Caesar was not. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not yes. the one who invented yes. this idea. It's just a well-known idea. So if you if you say Jesus is Lord, you're declaring Caesar is not. Well, that's a quick way to get you killed in the Roman mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And that's the world in which we're dealing here. So then verse 23, he says, be glad in that day. Leap for joy and behold, your reward yeah. is great in heaven. Now, I am with anyone who says, I need to learn the fellowship of God's suffering. Paul says this in Philippians, right? Uh, to, to rejoice in the fellowship of, suffer, uh, of his sufferings. Why? Because I'm not sure in the state I'm in right now, I would understand or know how I am supposed to leap for joy in this. But here's what I do know, that if I am truly a follower of Jesus, if I'm truly surrendered, when God's word comes true, I am leaping because it's true. Mm-hmm. I'm leaping yeah. because I'm on the right path. We yeah. struggle with finding the right path so much. In this, we leap because we know we're on the yeah. right path. It did not take long for this, for verse 22 to come to pass. They That that happened pretty quickly to... Uh, the, when they were, they were hated, it seems like... It seems like it wasn't long before they were being reviled. They were being uh, scorned. They, they were being hated by the entire world. And yet, they, I'm sure at the time that Jesus said these words to them, they did not get the full meaning of it un- until, that, until that happened. You know, we've talked about before that uh, many of the things that that Jesus taught them. And we just, you know, we talked about on yesterday's podcast about uh, would it be easier to, uh, uh, to believe in, in Christ if we had walked with him when he was physically here on earth? I, they, at, they're men. They're still men. Amen. They, 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 they cannot fathom in their mind that you're blessed when you're, when you're hated and ostracized and insulted and scorned. And, and, and scorn as evil, I, I, I think that they, but, but it wasn't long until that actually came to pass, that they, yes. knew, it, they, they knew that it was happening. Uh, my goodness, there's yeah, some powerful, powerful, powerful words. So verse 24, woe to you. So we, we enter into a series uh, of woes just briefly and then back to some, uh, some blessings. But he says, woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Remember, he's talking to disciples. Yes. 
So, so maybe there's a call to action here, but, but nonetheless, he's, he's, he's providing a woe, which was a warning uh, uh, in that day, you know, a, an oracle of woe, a warning. Mm-hmm. Then verse 25, he says, woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Well, just before he said, blessed are those who mourn. So it seems that there's either a juxtaposition here or for those who are sitting high on the hog, there's a call to something. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. And this is a verse that um, we could spend all day on. But woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. We remember from our studies in Jeremiah, we remember, uh, we remember from our studies throughout the Old Testament that, that the idea of the false prophets was uh, people loved them because they were really prophets for hire. Hey, come here and prophesy what I want you to prophesy. Mm-hmm. Tell me good things. Well, of course people are going to pat you on the back for that. Mm-hmm. But this is not the indicator of a disciple. Yeah. This is yeah. not the way of a disciple. You are not a person who is spoken of well by all people. Now, does that does that contradict in some way this passage we just talked about from Romans, which says, insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with all men? No, because insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. It doesn't mean you will live at peace with all men. Mm-hmm. You just shouldn't be the cause of the chaos. You are the one who brings the message, and it is either the message that sets you apart it is their hatred that sets you apart, whatever it is. But you're not the guy who goes in, uh, you know, waving your waving your God hates this or that flag. The Westboro Baptists don't know Jesus, yeah, right? They, right? They have missed the point of all of this. But again, we have these woes, and these are indicators. These are not the people we want to be. Yeah, yeah. I have to believe that, that many of these folks that were hearing this we're trying to reconcile this in their mind that their expectation of what Jesus was going to do, bring the kingdom of God, their expectation of that was drastically different than what Jesus was saying in these words. When, when, when he's saying all of these things, they have to be thinking, wait a minute, this is not, this seems upside down. This really doesn't seem like the kingdom of God is coming and we're part of that. It does not seem that way. And that's the way that Jesus was, I think he was giving them a warning and saying, guys, you've got to change your thinking on what, what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Absolutely. It's, it's, I, I, I don't know. I, I think about the, the scripture that comes to mind is when Jesus taught and there were many that didn't understand and some, some at that point, and, and I think it's in Matthew, maybe had turned away and didn't follow him anymore. Some of the folks that had been, had been following him. And, and I'm thinking when he says these types of things, they had an expectation of what kingdom of God was going to mean for them. Yes. And, and Jesus didn't seem to fit the bill, Yeah, did not seem to fit the bill. All of this coincides with, I mean, everything in scripture is amazing how it weaves together, but all of this coincides with what we read even in, in, uh, in Luke 8, where uh, Luke 8 talks about, uh, talks about the parable of the seeds. And, and some seed is sown on soil where the weeds, the cares of life, all of the stuff choke it out. Well, what if we 
we just listed in these woes. We've listed mm-hmm. the cares of life, the riches of this world. We're, we're talking about the, 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 the bread of this world. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by the word, the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, we live on the accolades of men. We, we want to hear good things and all of these things, but the cares of this life, the persecution that we face, mm-hmm. that some face, causes them to, to fall away. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that is a, that's a very humbling and sobering reality. But what we're seeing is this interweaving of the scripture and how it's all playing together. So in verse 27, we roll in, he says, but I say to you who hear, and now all of a sudden I, I'm weaving in John's repentance message, yes. which, which is, it's not just feel sorry, but do. There's something to do. There's some way to turn. So he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. I mean, these are exactly what we remember yes. from this repentance message uh, in, in earlier chapters. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks of you and whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. That doesn't mean you get to steal because they stole from you. That's yes, not the point. Yes. The point is you should not steal from them, even if they're going to steal from you. You're going to love them because that's how you would want them to treat you. I also think it's worth pointing out in verse 31 that the golden rule doesn't say uh, treat others the same way you want them to treat you as long as they do the same to you. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. It is treat them the way you want to be treated regardless of how they treat you. Yeah. Powerful lines yeah. there. Yeah, it, it, Jesus is saying here to these people that that you 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 have to be willing to bear these things if you want to follow me. Uh, it, it is it, it is just absolutely uh, just amazing to me the picture. I I would have loved to have seen the look on the faces of the people when when Jesus said, "Love your enemies, pray for those that use you," and 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 mistreat you. Whoever hits you on, on the cheek, offer him the other also. If he takes your coat, give him your shirt as well. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. There is a mindset here that that is that is is absolutely foreign to everything these folks believed or had been taught up to this point. And it was absolutely foreign to the Pharisees. And they're they're talking about uh, th- this didn't this didn't exclude Rome and the government of Rome. It it included them. Yep. It in, and and Jesus was saying, "Hey, this means everyone. Yes, everyone." <laughs> Staggering. Amazing. So so some might ask the question, "Okay, Nathan. Okay, Barney. How how does this jive with what you just said in in the beginning of this that says these are the indicators of the kingdom people, but now we have." actions of the kingdom people. And here, here's how I believe that they fit perfectly together in the, most, uh, in the most beautiful puzzle. And that is, when you are a person who is humble in spirit, when you are a person who, who um, hungers and thirsts after righteousness, when you're a person that is marked out by those beatitudes, the, the attitudes of a kingdom people, 
the behavior, the virtue, the character that flows from that is this kind of character. And he, he's still pointing it out. He's just simply pointing out, this is the outflow of what you do. So you, you're a person that turns the other cheek. You're a person that gives your coat. You're a person that gives whatever they're asked. You're the person who treats others the same way mm-hmm. that you want them to treat you. Because these are the, the, these are the behaviors, mm-hmm. if, mm-hmm. if we want to put them in that category. These are the behaviors of a kingdom people. So I think, they're, I think these marry together perfectly. Then verse 32 jumps in and says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For uh, even sinners love those who love them. Now, uh, there is a credit language there. There is a uh, there is a action and a reward language there that people often overlook. There is nothing in the New Testament that says God will not reward or bless those who are faithful to Him. As a matter of fact, it says the exact opposite. Yeah. It tells us that if you're if if you're the person who is given five talents and you invest it well and you were given five more, he gives you more. There are mm-hmm. blessings for God's kingdom people. So so make sure that you put that into your framework somewhere. It's it is there. Okay. It's not to be understood in the prosperity gospel nonsense, but it is there. And those rewards may all be, uh, and I believe most of the time are in in the new heavens and the new earth. It's in this new place where God is uh, restoring all things. So, but the other piece of this is the ethics of the unbelieving world. Sinners love those who love them. Absolutely. So yeah. don't don't yeah. think for a second sinners can't love each other. Yeah. Sinners don't love. Sinners aren't kind. They're not good to each other. That, that's absurd. Um, again, I, I reference this a lot, and it's just fun for your for your uh, information. But uh, one of the uh, tenets, one of the core understandings of Gnosticism, was that um, that flesh or hum, you know uh, fleshly things are evil. Everything is evil that is flesh and everything that is spirit is good. And so the goal was to get rid of that flesh and move into this kind of spiritual side of things where everything is good. And nobody except for Gnostic heretics at one point in in, uh, in history, nobody believes that man is as bad as he absolutely can be. If that were the case, everybody'd be a murderer. Mm. Everybody, I mean, everybody might hate somebody in their heart, and that would qualify as a murderer to Jesus. What I'm simply getting at is the manifestation of all men is not as bad as they absolutely can be. Otherwise, well, we would have died off a long time ago. We would have killed each other a long yes. time ago. We we are sinners, make no mistake. But we got to have a right framework for what that particular thing means. And what we see here is even sinners love their own, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, Of course mm -hmm. they do that. Jesus was calling out, and this is powerful to me, and I I can tell you that I, this is, uh, this, this is a, 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 a difficult thing to bring, bring out to say that Jesus was saying that the character of his people was going to be this. And if it wasn't this, if you do not love those who hate you. If you do not do all these things, <laughs> this is hard. You're not his. You're, You're not. not. And, and it's, a, it, it, it's a claim that, that we should have something that others don't have simply because we know Jesus, not because we're better than anybody no. else. No. Heavens, it's not that at all. It's simply because we know Jesus. And if, we, if he hasn't changed us to that degree, then we're probably not his. Yes. And that's hard. That's really hard. Amen. 
So uh, I think what we what we'll do uh, if we can is get from thirty five to forty five, and then we'll pick up uh, tomorrow in the next podcast. But Jesus goes on: love your enemies, do yeah. good, lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, uh, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. If you ever wanted to know the character of God, that line needs to be on your t-shirt. It needs to be on a billboard. He has called us to be kind and uh, to, to be loving to ungrateful and evil men. Why? Because he himself is kind yes. to ungrateful and evil men, of which we all Absolutely. once were those people. We were the chiefest if we really understand this message. And so. this is not some obscure passage. This is Jesus saying it to yes. those that were following him. Yes. And if we're following him, He's saying that to us, yes, and and it is a it, it is it's staggering yes. to think when you really look at what at what what the expectation was of those folks and what Jesus said it in the real world. He said, "This is what it really is. This is the expectation. This is what God wants from you." My goodness. So verse 36 and on down really, uh, really actually starts to be filtered through a statement he makes kind of dead center, which is a pupil is not above his teacher, mm-hmm. uh, which is verse 40. But 36 is be merciful as your, as your father is merciful. Don't judge. Wow. There's, there's a lot yeah. on this, right? My goodness. Do not judge and you will not be judged and do not, and do not condemn and you will not be condemned pardon and you will be pardoned. And some look at this and they say, okay, what are we dealing with judge and condemn? I thought, I thought you've talked about, it's not about condemning people, uh, but this also includes judgment. You have to understand what the context of this, he's talking about being merciful to ungrateful and evil men. And so the idea here is they are keeping in, uh, they're keeping in line with their nature. Mm -hmm. They're doing what they do. So judging them is to say, yep, sinners will be sinners. Condemning them would be for you to jump on the bench and swing the gavel. You don't have permission to it. Um, But what you do have is a call, pardon, and you will be pardoned. And why? Because you have been pardoned, at least in the the gospel declaration that you are believing. So you are saying, I am the hope set before me is my pardon. So I need to pardon because that's what's going to be for me. Then verse 38, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, how many times have you heard this passage being manipulated into a tithing message, which says that you need to you need to give, 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 so that it will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over? What's the context? The context is towards evil men. Yes. The context is you die to yourself and you love the people who hate you. And guess what? God says, I will, I will pour a measure into your lap that is pressed down, shaken together and running over because this line for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. What has he just talked about? Pardon. Mm-hmm. He's just mm-hmm. talked about forgiveness. Yes. He's just talked about mercy. All of this is intertwined in this message. It is not about your money at church. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but 
I'm going to make somebody mad with that message, but it's okay. That's <laughs> Another just one of those things that's ripped out of context. Yeah. It is, I, I just want to go back to 30, 37 just for a second, because that is another one that's, you know, you talked about it. It, yes. we, it. People have such a hard time and keep in mind that this, this is, a, this is the verse that can be totally turned around. Uh, they, they, uh, people seem to think or hope that Jesus has commanded that, that we accept everybody's lifestyle or teaching or anything, but they're just a little bit later in the same sermon. It's in Luke 6. Jesus commanded us to know ourselves and others by the fruit of their life. Yes. So it is not that you don't judge by their fruit. It's yes. just, he's not saying that. He completely, in the very same sermon, says, says you need to judge by the fruit of their life. Another another resource, if, you're, uh, if you want to get geeky with this kind of thing, is a resource uh, on my shelf called New Testament Theology by I. Howard Marshall. Again, that's New Testament Theology by I. Howard Marshall. And Marshall uh, observes this, and it's just in my notes here. Um, uh, Marshall observes, he says, it is not the use of discernment and discrimination which is forbidden, but the attitude of, uh, uh, of censoriousness. Well, let me explain what that means in his fancy $50 word. It forbids a Christian from finding status by negation, uh, i.e. looking better by criticizing others as worse. We're back to the statement we just made earlier, which is, well, thank God I'm not like that guy. You, that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. Christians are not these people. So when it says do not judge, it is it is in this framework where you're saying you are not allowed to say, well, God, thank you. I'm not like the Pharisees. Well, mm-hmm. you, you probably shouldn't be like the Pharisees, but mm-hmm. here's why. You're new wineskin. You've been made new and new oil has, new wine has been put in you. You have attitudes that are distinctly kingdom attitudes. That's why you should look different. But there's no pride in that. Absolutely not. Because you're not the one who made you new. Yeah. And and that's a humbling truth. That is completely humbling. We didn't, we didn't do any of this on our own merit. It was uh, when, when we judge someone uh, and, and unrightly judge them and not, not, not the fruit, not the fruit situation. But when we judge someone, we don't, we forget that with, we're going to be judged with the same judgment. Whatever measure. We, we, we need to realize and and be so quick to, to understand that the mercy of God came to us when we nor anyone else deserved it. Amen. And we, we can, we cannot boast on our own merit with amen, that. So, amen. Yeah. So wow. verse 39, he goes into a parable and he also yes. spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? <laughs> well, it would seem in our culture, that's the attempt here. Um, will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, yeah. but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. I love that promise to be like the one who is teaching us. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. And listen up, church, you have to hear this statement. Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take (laughs) out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? Here it is. You hypocrite. Yes. First, take the log out of your own eye. Now, the passage nobody seems to read in this. 
and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Make no mistake. Yes. Your brother's eye and uh, the uh, shrapnel in it is of your concern. Mm -hmm. It is something Mm -hmm. you should care deeply about. But the place from which you go performing eye surgery (laughs) is a place of humility and repentance. It is not a place where where the timber in your eye is going to create more problems. And we have missed that. In the church today, what we have is one side that says, don't even worry about the twig in your brother's eye. You're wrong. You should worry about the twig in your brother's eye. On the other side of this, we would say, um, we would say, just concern yourself with the twig in your brother's eye. No. Jesus says, first, deal with you. Repentance, humility. Then you will see clearly. If you don't, you have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I, I like the, uh, uh, when you talked about the blind leading the blind, Jesus did say in, in uh, Matthew that he, he called the leaders of that day, he called them blind leaders of the blind. And he said, if the blind leads the blind, they'll both fall into the ditch. So, so the idea, no, the blind are not going to be able to lead the blind, he, he told them. And then, but then to see the uh, uh, mercy and the grace of God and teach it. This is some hard stuff. It's some yes, hard stuff to is. teach, but it is uh, it's a it it is a it's a kind of it's kind of a humorous thing though when you think about a guy walking around with a plank in his eye but but uh, it, it is it it is a it's an understanding that we need to get and we need to look at it and not not take our widely held view of it and say that we're not to do anything for our brother and we don't have any any say so over him that's that's taking it to the far extreme the other side so. Yep. Uh, we love to read the first half and ignore the second half, yes. or maybe we like to read the second half and ignore the first half. Yes. We've got to read the whole counsel of God's word. And then uh, we'll move to 43 to 45. Uh, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. And this is going to bookend the point that uh, we brought up earlier, which is that the there is a, there is a natural outflow of a kingdom people. Mm-hmm. They are a people of the Beatitudes. That's not behaviors that if we get it right, we, we are saved by Jesus. But instead, these are the outflows of, this is the outflow of the people of God. Verse 43, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. Mm. Nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure in his heart, and he has been made good by the transforming power of Christ Jesus, uh, the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can make a case for how this affects bad language, but I think we're still stretching this beyond. We may be be hobby-horsing on one particular uh, attribute of this kind of life, but, but what we need to take away from this is... That a good tree produces good fruit. Absolutely. And it doesn't sit and strain to produce that good fruit. Yeah. Apple trees don't sit there squinting and, and groaning and saying, apples be produced. Yeah. They don't They do not do that. They produce apples. Yes. It's what happens. Yes. And an apple will never produce an orange 
it doesn't matter how hard it would try. Yeah. So uh, not that that's good versus bad. It's simply the point is the fruit of the Spirit, the mm-hmm. fruit of God who dwells inside of us through His Spirit um, is these beatitudes. It is this It is this behavior. It is this way of walking. And we're going to know each other yeah. by yeah. whether or not we live that way. Yeah. It seems to be that Jesus is saying that we need to look at ourselves first. Yes. We need to look at ourselves first. And then, like, before we go to the beam in our neighbor's eye, we, we should check ourselves first. Uh, and then and then when he talks about a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and out of the abundance of the heart his, his mouth speaks. He's just dealt with the leaders of that day, and their heart gave them away. He, no one else, their speech actually did at a point. But their heart gave them away first to Jesus. That, that's I, I I think about that piece a lot. Is that God? God looks on the heart, and it's uh, it used to be extremely scary to think that God knows exactly what's on your heart. Yes. It was it was a it, it, it it's it's a scary thought if your heart isn't right. And my goodness, but that's that's it, that's where the good heart comes you, in. You take that which was scary before. And you have a confidence, but the confidence is not in yourself that says, knowing that Jesus has made my heart pure, mm-hmm. I have confidence mm-hmm. in what will flow from it. Yeah. Um, but that confidence is not in me. That confidence is not in you. It is in, in the one who transformed the heart. We're, the themes are flowing together. It's the one who made the new wineskin. It's the one who made the entire mm-hmm. new garment for us, right? He's going to put us in these robes, these white robes, and, and we, are, we are fit. We are set for this wedding feast. What a, what a beautiful thing. All of this is what we're, what we're looking at here, and it's, it's staggering. It's amazing. So tomorrow, we are going to close out verses 46 through 49. We'll do that ever so briefly mm-hmm. with uh, the builders and foundation. We'll jump into chapter 7, roll through chapter 7, hopefully into chapter 8, and we're going to continue to um, to use your comments and those things. So keep them coming. Again, email, uh, get it plugged in on the Version Bible, whatever it takes. Uh, but we want to hear from you and continue this conversation. God bless you guys. Have a great day.